Hey guys, Colleen Wolf from NFL Network. And look, you may or may not know I'm from Philly. I'm ride or die Philadelphia, but especially when it comes to sports. So you guys need to check out Mike Small on the Killing Me Smalls podcast. This guy crushes it, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say next. You're killing me, Smalls! Boom. There he is. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Killing Me Smalls podcast. This is my white whale. We've been talking about doing this thing for two years, and we have finally sat down myself and the great Ala Abdul-Nabi. You know him as the Sixers color commentator. I know him as the only Duke guy that I would ever let on a podcast. How are you, my friend? Good, Mike. Good to be with you. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. I, I I think it's it'd be fun for everybody to retrace our relationship. So a lot of people that listen to the podcast know that my first job out of college, I did Dean Smith's television show in Chapel Hill from 1989 to 1994. I wrote for Carolina Blue Newspaper, <laughs> and there were many opportunities that I got to interview the Duke players before games, after games, preseason. And one of my favorite interviews was this guy, Al Abdelnabi, who I got a chance to speak with several times. But fast forward several years, um, I'm in business, and the company that I worked for for a while was in Nutley, New Jersey, which is Al's hometown. And there was a pub right there, and I used to go out to lunch there three or four days a week. And all of a sudden, I bumped into this almost seven-foot guy with a big smile and recognized him and every day we would yell at each other about Duke and Carolina when I'd go to lunch and then fast forward several more years here he is doing the Sixers game so we have had a chance to reconnect at several games so it is really is really funny, fun to be it? able to talk to you it's 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 amazing isn't it how life goes in circles at times where you'd cross paths many many years ago and then our paths crossed three different times at three different yeah. junctures in life. So that's amazing, man. But yeah, when you said the years in Carolina, uh, they overlapped a couple there. So yeah, yep. um, your time in Chapel Hill overlapped with my time in Durham. All it shows is that I got about two years uh, of age on you. And a couple, <laughs> I'm catching you on the gray hairs, though. You got you more good. than I do, though. So it doesn't matter what color, as long as you got. <laughs> <laughs> you look good. You look good. That's so, amazing, man. Hey, man, let's talk about the Sixers, and then we've got to get into some Carolina Duke stuff because it would just be tragic. I'm looking at those jerseys behind you. I know you did this just to set me up here. <laughs> I did, and I swear, I said I've been living here for six years. This was not decorated for Zoom or any other kind of you know meetings or online so this is just how it was man i promise so look behind me you see that ball right there that's the 1993 national champions uh nice. all signed so not that nice. right after the you know no, that's right that's right so you guys you guys got, got bothered by us winning back to back and you had to step up i don't it was you. a little irritating i'm not gonna lie to you it was a little <laughs> irritating but you know it was, it was kind of an adorable story when you guys kept going to final fours and losing but then when you started winning it was really painful <laughs> well, I recall Dean going to a few and not winning until he finally got to 82. And you are correct. With the fluke pass, too, by the way. Um, it was good defense. It was good defense. <laughs> Worthy was right there. Whatever you want to call it. <laughs> hey, you saw Russell Westbrook throwing a referees the other day. It's not that much different. Worthy just happened to be there. Yeah, well, a little bit less on the line. Let's just say that. A little bit less on the line with Russell's pass than Jimmy Black's. 
You know what? Just like anything else, there's a little bit of luck in every championship, right? Like, I'm not going to tell you Christian Leitner's shot against Kentucky was total not luck, right? Well, I will say this. Okay. Normally, yes. Absolutely. You know, I really tried to start Sixers, but we no, get right into it. But he went, He was 10 for 10 that night. He so was. that's the only reason why I would say, you know, they were all going in. It was just the kind of afternoon he was having. But, yes, if you take away the 9 for 9, that last one, yeah, there's a little luck involved. Absolutely. Why are you dribbling the ball, first of all? Um, you know, but he had enough time, apparently, and at least in his head. Yeah, I don't know why Grant Hill's not the quarterback of the Washington football <laughs> team with that toss. But anyway, we'll we'll get into that. Let's get let's get into the Sixers, man. So you got here, uh, not talking about your playing days, but as an announcer, right in the middle of the process, and now you see the the fruits of the labor. Was there ever a time? You know, you you live in North Jersey and you commute down to Philadelphia for every game. What was it like getting in the car every day, knowing oh, we're going to lose by forty tonight, but this is going to be interesting? It was tough being inconsequential. That's what it yeah. felt like. You know, it felt like we were just a, an afterthought. When you go into it, really stung Mike more when you traveled because here we are going to Portland for a butt whipping. That's you know that's about you know inevitable so to speak, and you know what's coming that's the yeah. the part you feel like you're walking to your doom 41 nights on the road and um the the wins came i mean gosh what do we average like one win every six weeks yeah. during that season that's a lot of losing man so um i was indoctrinated quickly into the process and everything and i don't know if i'm you know i made like you know i guess people rub people the wrong way with this but my question regarding the process is can other people replicate it elsewhere if you don't have Joel Embiid? You know what I mean? Like, well, I, I mean, that's, but that was the thing, right? To get as many shots on goal, thinking you're going to get a Tim Duncan, you're going to get a Joel Embiid, you're going right, to get a, right. a player like that. But you could also get a Markel Fultz. You know what I mean? You could also and get an Anthony Bennett. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so it could go either way. I'm, I'm fortunate and, and thankful that it worked out with a guy like Joel Embiid, for sure, no doubt. Um, but I just wonder if someone else is looking from the outside and trying to replicate it, how successful they would be, because I don't know how many Joel Embiid's are out there for other people to experiment with the process. Well, you have to have some patience, right? I mean, for, for every Joel Embiid, there was a Jaleel Okafor or a, sorry for the Duke shot, or a Markel I Fultz. expect that from you. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it was gratuitous. I'm not going to lie. But, but you're, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, a, an ownership group's got to be patient, but, but you used a word that I used my entire childhood, which was relevance. You know, when I'm growing up and watching Dr. J and Bobby Jones and, you know, and then, a, you know, you, there was a lull after the Charles Barkley trade. And then you get a couple of years of Allen Iverson and then it was just complete irrelevance. Uh, you know, it, it it's worth it to me to to fail for a couple of years, knowing that you're going to get those shots. Yeah, um, I just I when you're in the middle of ten and seventy two, it's hard to look it's past tough. that. You know, um, because that does leave a mark, you know, yeah. on you. Um, and um, yeah, I, I'm just thankful to be in the position we're in now, where we can reap those benefits because Joel's healthy, Ben's healthy. We were able to get Tobias through some trades through mm -hmm. because the guy like Landry Shamit was playing well here, and you get to use him as bait, you know, in a trade. 
uh, because the Clippers wanted a guy like that. So, the, you know, the, the Sixers did have done well with the pieces in the draft, um, despite the fact that, you know, sometimes you get, uh, like you said, a, a Jaleel or a Nerlens or, you know, whoever. But uh, even Nerlens now is playing pretty good basketball yeah. for New York, you know. It's interesting, too, uh, watching you. And I can see that you have an affinity for Ben Simmons. You you love 2-5. And I do, too, honestly. I mean, he is he is exciting, but he is confounding. Um, <laughs> and I know, listen, I, I tweeted this the other day. I said, it is very fair to be annoyed that he can't hit a free throw. It's very fair to be annoyed that he's up close and he won't just dunk it. But if you're going to be annoyed, you better just recognize the fact that a guy is playing the point and grabs 15 rebounds and has the vision to create shots with 15 assists. What do you make of this guy? I know you love him. I love him too. Do you see him rounding that out or is or is this who he is? Well, I think, I think the jumper will come a little bit more. Um, I don't know how much more because here's 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 how I look at it. He's already so effective and puts his imprint on so many parts of the game. We haven't even mentioned defense yet. You know, and no. I don't really even care if he – I know he might care if he wins defensive player of the year. What I'm interested in is how he's going to defend Wednesday night against, you know, Beal and, and Westbrook because yep. that's where he brings his value for me. And then you add on top of that the 15 rebounds and the 15 assists, which means he's getting other guys involved as well. He controls the pace of the Sixers too when they're running and when they're not. The pass is up ahead. Um, that really big three that Seth Curry hit starts from a steal from Ben and a pass up ahead right. in transition. One of the few times the Sixers were able to change ends quickly. Um, so I think he brings a lot more to the table. I think what fans want is they want the complete package. They see a number number one overall pick, a guy who's had a lot of success. They want more. That's normal um, because I think they think he's capable of more. But right now, I think what you have to do is deal in reality. This is what's in front of you, and he brings a lot to the table. Let's not overlook that because he may pass on a jumper or two. I think fans would be fine if he never took a jumper, but if he hit 70% of his three throw, free throws and instead of attempting those little bunnies, just threw the ball down every time with authority. And, yeah. you know, I got fouled, went to the – you know, there's so many times – there was a there was a play the other night where he was right there, could have thrown it down and just tipped it over to Tobias or somebody. Just just get aggressive there, and he does it sometimes, you know. Yeah, I think I think when he feels confident at the free throw line, I think he'll become more aggressive. I think he'll attack more when he knows that when he does get fouled, he's going to knock those two down. I think that's the next step of his development. Is the other day he missed some free throws, and then all of a sudden you saw things got a little tougher for him because they kept on fouling him. And they were they were kind of – it was because Scott Brooks, if you, we can recall 76ers fans, was the guy years ago hack -a -ben. tried yep. to implement a hack-a-ben. So it's in his, I guess, arsenal, if you will, in his bag of tricks. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see it again. I think that's the next step for Ben's development, just like it was for Magic Johnson after year one when yeah. he was in the league. He worked on his free throws because he knew he was going to get to the line. Actually, with five minutes left in the game, I tweeted, I wouldn't be surprised if Scott Brooks starts the hack of Ben. Uh, I, they probably should have. Well, yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it again. Yeah, I wouldn't either. You know, um, 
one of the things that I, I don't want to suck up to you, but I really do like you. And I really think you're very, very good at your job. You're very knowledgeable. And I often wonder, why isn't this guy coaching? Have you ever thought about it? Well, I coached high school ball, Mike. Uh, I think before I met you. Uh, oh, really? The second time in Nutley. Okay. Um, and uh, let's just say that kids haven't changed. Parents and, and guardians have changed. And yeah. these are the same people that grew up. They're my generation. But um, – Things have just changed, and it, it kind of – I don't want to say took the fun out of it for me, but it, it, it kind of did a little bit. Um, and, yeah, it kind of killed my taste for coaching. Um, I still I love see, to share what about an NBA coach? What's that? What about coaching an NDA? I know that, you know, you have to have convert- – I know, you know, one of the things that I always value is some of the, the big man things you've talked about around Joel and some others and – you know, Joel's got to, you know, he's got to take the extra step here before he shoots. And some of the, you know, um, the drop steps you talk about. I mean, you have a lot of knowledge to share. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that. First of all, thank you. I've been around um, and I've had really, really good coaches. And um, they're the ones who helped me. And it was vital for me to get those things down, for me to be the best that I could be. So, yeah, I realized the value in it. Um, the problem is with these guys, and it's not their fault is that most of them, like a Joel, go to college for one year. you know? So they didn't have the luxury that I had of four years of working on it on Sundays and the off-season, working on it. Those are the ways you get that in your game. You almost have to work on that now here as a pro. Um, so, But here's the thing. When it comes to big man, I'm not sure how important that is in today's game anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's what's great about the job that I have with the team that I'm covering is that we have the tallest point guard in the league at 6'10", and we've got one of the best bigs, and we use him inside, Mm -hmm. unlike other teams. When you watch other teams, it's three and fly, and we don't necessarily play that way, and I kind of like that, but I'm not sure the big man's place in the the game of basketball – what it looks like in five, seven years. I'm curious to see. What would Coach say? What, what would Coach K have said to you if you jacked up seven threes in a Carolina game? Well, here's the funny thing: is I, I've talked to him about this, and I've said to him, like, what would I have? What kind of player would I have to be now compared to the player I was if you're recruiting me right now? And he'd say, well, for the most part, you'd be okay, but we would work on your threes because if you wanted to play at the next level. We, our job is to prepare you, yeah. so you would have to work on your three. So that would be the big difference is that posting up wouldn't be enough. You'd have to pull somebody out and learn how to face up, which I could do, but I never shot threes. I could put it on the floor and pull a big guy out because I was quicker than most, but I never shot threes. So that would be the interesting adjustment that I'd have to make, I wonder. I did get a write-in question because I told people that you were coming on to the podcast. <laughs> and sounds gave- good. Gave an opportunity. The one question that uh, I got, one question that I got that I really liked is the Sixers defense has been really good this year, ranked number one or two, depending on what metric you're looking at. From what you've seen, could this be a historic defense? And how does it compare to some great defenses that you've seen over the years? Well, I don't know if it's going to be a historic defense. I think it'll be a really good defense relative to the time and the era we're playing in. You know, the rules were different for other defensive teams is I'm thinking of the bad boys. I'm even thinking of the Larry Brown's team that he won with in Detroit Mm -hmm. with Ben Wallace and Rasheed Wallace and Rip Hamilton and those guys. Um, 
those guys were allowed to do more with their hands defensively than guys are now. So I think that's why you're seeing, you know, the number, the, the, the scores the way they are, because you're simply not allowed to grab and hold and put your arm out, uh, especially if you're on the perimeter with guys like you move your feet. Yeah. And that makes a big difference. But but I also, right. I wonder like, well, if you couldn't do that to Michael Jordan, how many would he have averaged? If you couldn't grab and hold, right? He'd average That's what? my <laughs> argument for all the LeBron lovers. Yeah, yeah. well, that's what I mean. Yeah. No knock on LeBron. He's no, the best in this era. Yeah, it's a different game. What? Exactly. But you can't tell me LeBron is as good as MJ or is as skilled as MJ. He might be a – he is a better passer. Give him that, no doubt. But I'm talking about one-on-one -on -one basketball. There's nobody like MJ. And if you couldn't hold him, I mean, I feel bad for you. First Carolina guy compliment. Write that down. Okay, so um, – <laughs> Hey, another question for you. Assuming the Sixers get by Washington, which I think most of us think that'll happen, who would you rather play in the Eastern Conference Finals if you get there, Brooklyn or Milwaukee? I have an answer for this that may surprise you, but I want to hear yours. Well, Brooklyn worries me. Yeah, you know they both I mean? worry and, me. Yeah, and and I watched them play the other day against the Celtics, and I actually saw them defend a little, a lot more than they did during the regular season. Yeah. So if they can keep that up, that's a really tough formula to have to contend with because they've got a three-headed monster, and you've got to hope for two of them to have off nights, and that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I would rather play Milwaukee. Um, because I think they're a more um, they're a more doable opponent. We could handle Milwaukee. Um, Brooklyn just worries me, especially you, since if you I were, saw them defend. Yeah, no, I agree with you. If you're the Sixer coach and you're playing against Brooklyn, do you start Matisse? I mean, how would you how would you play him? You'd still have to just you'd have to use Ben on you know whoever. You thought was the was the better matchup. I'd probably put him on Harden. I agree. You know, um, and then hope you know a guy like Seth can can stay with Kyrie. But you know, I don't know how 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 long that's going to last. I, I I agree with you that they're going to have to bring in other people. Um, that's the problem Brooklyn poses. You know, is and then who who gets to cover KD? You know, you can't put Joel on him. You know, because Joe Hill well, pulled Joel. You can bias on him and have Joe double him. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah, but he's taller than Tobias, you know, and you wonder if you know if he can consist consistently shoot over him and make shots. I the, the thing that worries me about them is they've got a three headed monster, and each one of them by themselves is a problem. Then you add to them that they're playing alongside each other. Then all of a sudden, who do you help off of? Who do you stay on? You know, is it different each time when they're on one end of the one side of the floor or the other? Like, there's a lot of things to consider on the fly, reading and reacting situations that they put you in a lot of situations where you're 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 trying to fight back into the play, um, and you give them just a little bit of time, and they and they make you pay. That's the problem. That's the problem. It's going to be interesting. Hey, Al, let's take a quick break. Uh, you know, we all have sports heroes and life heroes. I've got a life hero I want to talk about. And that is my 17-year-old daughter, Jordan. That's great. She was diagnosed with a brain tumor in 2017. Uh, she overcame 15 months of chemotherapy. Wow. We're in that situation where she can't get operated on, but 
because of where it is. So every six months we have to get an MRI and hope it doesn't wow. grow and keep on going. And, and well, God bless she her, is uh, thank you. And she is amazing because instead of wallowing, you know, sitting around asking why me, she's giving back. Wow. Um, our family got together with her leadership and we started a 501c3 charity called Small Miracles. We've raised almost $50,000. Wow. And what we do with the money is we buy iPads for kids at Children's Hospital that are recently diagnosed. And That's they have great. an opportunity to, to play games, take notes, journal, uh, maybe watch some television while they're getting chemotherapy. Um, it's, it's, it's just been an amazing thing. And if you want to get involved... Please check out our website, which is smallmiraclesinc.org. Or if you want to just Venmo uh, a donation, it's small underscore miracles. And every single cent that we get goes right to the kids. And we've got a casino night coming up in September, and I'll have all kinds of details about that. But she's doing great. She's currently ranked number two in her class. She got almost That's a perfect awesome. SAT. That's on her math. And as I told Alan the other day, she's reluctantly for me looking at Duke. She's looking at Notre right. Dame. She is looking at North Carolina. Okay. Well, so she we'll had to be obligatory visit. <laughs> she's, uh, she's an impressive kid. So thanks that for indulging like me for a moment. You got a lot to be proud of. I really do. She's amazing. And uh, our family is, and friends have rallied around her. So, all right. So we've got to talk some Duke Carolina. So my very first Duke Carolina game was 1989 at the ACC tournament. Oof. You remember what happened that game? That was a war. That was, that was a war. That was, yeah, that was probably the most physical college game I ever played in, man. That was – I remember that game. Yeah, coach I, I going at it too. I remember the next week in Sports Illustrated on the inside cover was me complaining about a call, but you can see that I had two butterflies on my chin – because I got caught with an elbow and my, my chin just busted open. And this was before the AIDS timeout where they'll let you just bleed all over the place. And we were in our whites. So the blood's all over the uniform. And yeah, that was typical of that 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 afternoon or that, yeah, it was probably that afternoon. It was a one o'clock game on Sunday. It but was. I just remember being in the army and that was a war. That was a war. And you guys won. Yep. I wasn't you guys yet. I was you guys the next year. I was still a senior <laughs> in college that year, but that was awesome. But um, do you remember Coach K and Dean went at it? What are you guys talking about at halftime? What what was that like before, after well, the I game? I tell you, like, would, you, would something is that emotional? Yeah. And and the, the idea was um, to try to be as intense and under control at the same time as possible. You know, you want to channel that energy. You don't want to just go out and go in, you know, five different directions out on the floor. You want to be able to channel it. So I think we were just kind of trying to stay within ourselves, yeah. take the hit, and then be able to respond. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't even – like I don't remember – like usually in the game you'll look up at the scoreboard. I just remember being so engulfed in that game – that all I kept looking for were elbows and sharp, you know, hands because that's all that kept flying were elbows and you were getting hit constantly, getting knocked down. I remember being on the floor a lot. Um, yeah, and I remember Coach and, and, and Coach Smith getting into it um, 
I think coach was saying something to Scott Williams and Dean said, don't talk to my players or something yep. like that. Yeah, I, I don't I think Dean I don't was yelling it. Academy Award at Danny Ferry. <laughs> something or that might have been have like the a next scar year. I don't on know. his didn't he have like a scratch on his face or something during the game? I think he had to come up with like someone yep. scratched his face and it was you could see it on his face, but that's just again indicative of the way the game was being played. So nobody can convince me there is a better rivalry in all of sports than Duke Carolina. What when you when you think back? Do you have a favorite moment? Um, well, yeah, easily. Uh, we, we beat you guys three times in 1988. And then the championship yeah. game um, in Greensboro, playing you guys, again, one, one, it's one o'clock on Sunday afternoon, um, and winning that game and, you know, being a part of something that a lot of Duke teams didn't do. You know, beat you guys three. It's hard to beat anybody yeah. three times. Clemson, Wake any of those teams because you guys know each other by the time you play the third game so well that there really are no surprises. It's just a matter of will. And I also recall, and you remember this, those ACC tournaments were three games in a row, you mm -hmm. know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So when you get to Sunday at one, you're kind of rubber leg. And it really is all about your mind. How much more do you want it than the other team? Um, so, yeah, that I remember being on top. What I also remember, too, is kind of cool was um, I think it was 1988 or 89, but the NCAA tournament was in the Dean Dome. And we 88, had 88. Yep. Okay. And we had qualified. Yep. And we were going to play, play Notre Dame, right? What's that? David Rivers. Didn't you play Notre Dame? No, we played, I want to say, was it Boston University first? Okay. Somebody named Timberlake, I think, was on that team. But we played Boston University, and I don't recall who we played in the second game. It may have been – I don't I don't recall. It wasn't Notre Dame. It definitely wasn't Notre I Dame. Remember, Notre Dame was there. I remember going – They, they may have been on the other side. But I remember coming out of the, 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 the tunnel and seeing a lot of Duke blue in <laughs> the light blue seats. And that was kind of a trip for me, but a good trip. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because for, what, two days we took over the building, you know? You know, Zumoff does a great job with you. And uh, he always best, gives you a hard right? time whenever you compliment a Duke guy. <laughs> I personally love it when you compliment a Carolina guy. When Danny Green first got here, I heard the reluctancy, but now you seem to like him, right? Do you have a favorite? All right, so we know you love Jordan, but that doesn't count. Do you have a favorite Carolina contemporary? Oh, absolutely. Easy. Sam Perkins is my guy. I love okay. I love Big Smooth. Anybody named Big Smooth is going to be all right. And when you get to be around him, having played against him, mm -hmm. um, having watched him too, we talked about that 82 game. I'm yep. in high school still. Heck, I'm in middle school um, during that 82 game watching Sam, you know, and his team with MJ and all the other guys, you know, win the championship. So to get to play against him and then get to know him and spend time with him and realize how great he is as a person. It makes you rethink your, you know, your, your thinking about Carolina guys for sure, because you're like, well, if this guy's, you know, one of them, they all can't be bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's my thinking meeting you. So there we go. There we go. There's always one exception. <laughs> always one. So what, what was the, did you take that into the NBA when you ran into Carolina guys and, uh, you know, oh, okay. yeah. was, it, was it a mutual well, yeah, I'll give you a great thing MJ and have fun story. With it? So, 93, 
I'm in Boston and I'm starting for the Celtics. Okay. And you, we talked about it earlier. Duke had Rick won Fox in 91 and 92. Right? What's that? Rick Fox was on that team, right? Rick Fox was on that team. Exactly. So we're lining up for the circle, you know, for the, for the tap. And Robert Parrish is jumping. So I'm not jumping. I'm in the circle. Mm -hmm. And MJ comes over to me and he pulls up his red Chicago Bulls shorts and he's got his Carolina Blues underneath. Yep. And he's like, 93 champs, baby. You know, how do you like that? So <laughs> I knew this was all going to happen. I or just, I didn't know. If it, I knew it could happen. All right. So I wanted to be prepared just in case. So his knee's right next to my knee. So he pulls his up, shows me his. I go, and I pulled up mine, and I had Duke Blue underneath. <laughs> That was like 91 and 92, back-to-back -back champions. How do you like that? And we both had a little, you know, a little chuckle. Ball goes up, and then the rest is, you know, the rest is history. But, yeah, that moment I remember because I knew he'd come over. The competitor that he is, I knew he'd say something because I'm a Duke guy and he's a Carolina guy. And But I didn't know he'd do it, you know, right at the tap at the semicircle. But, yeah, that's what he did. That's awesome. So – so one of my favorite guys, you know, I, I got to know the players really, really well because I traveled with them. I was, you know, sometimes the only person in the traveling party in the media sure, sure. and doing the coaches show. And one of my favorite guys was Hubert Davis, who is now the UNC coach. And that begs the question, Coach K is not going to do it that much longer. Who do you think's in line? Do you think it's Amaker? Do you think it's Dawkins? Do you think it's Quinn Snyder? Uh, is there a surprise? Who do you think is the... I know it's the million dollar question, but if you oh, have a man, that's down. a great question. First of all, I'm I'm happy for Hubert, and I, I wish him all the best. Right, Carolina needs to be good for this rivalry to matter. So yep. I wish him all the very best. I got to know him through his uncle Walter Davis, mm -hmm. who is and also the Greyhound, a great former Tar Heel yeah. as well, who was my teammate in Portland my second year, um, and everything I know about Hubert is great. So they're going to be just fine i you know i'm not worried about them but getting back to my didn't he my put up side, 35 on you guys on your senior day or was that the next year oh he i he, we overlap so it might have been the next year it was the next year okay yeah, it right. might have been the next year yeah yeah yeah. i'd remember that <laughs> yeah yeah they won in duke um, on his seat on his last game I remember yeah that. yeah um i remember that game no i wasn't there um but it, the, the nice thing about our situation over at duke is we have options you know, you, mm -hmm. you just mentioned a bunch of different guys, and uh, that gives me comfort. But I also think that when the one guy does finally get picked, you know, there's going to be some nervousness there because you want them to succeed, obviously, not just because you know them, you know, if it's one of the guys we mentioned, um, but also because if you love that program and you don't want that program to, to, to see anything but the top of the mountain. Um, so, yeah, it would – how do you follow a legend? You know, that's the thing. I mean, you guys went through it, and it wasn't easy. Nah. You know, Coach Guthridge had a hard time. You know, when you guys brought in Darty, it was tough um, because Dean cast such a big shadow. Um, yeah, I often wonder what it would have been like if, if Roy Williams went right after Dean. If it would yeah. have been different, yeah, probably wouldn't have. You probably wouldn't have gone through what you went through. Probably not. But I think it also shows, you know, like what's out there. You know, like it's hard to find a guy to come in and yeah. be a great steward of your, you know, of an elite program. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think who's the hotter coach right now? It all depends on how you look at it. I mean, 
you know, Quinn's got his team, you know, in the best league in the world, and they're the number one seed and probably, you know, the tougher of the two conferences. I don't know if it's um, if that's enough, but he's got to lose the first round. You never know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You never know. I think what's now, great about great job. what's great about Quinn is he's steady. You know, you get that sense of Utah when you watch them play. They're just steady. Watch yeah. him on the sideline. He doesn't lose it. He's stick, but he's a taskmaster. Like he coaches that team. He doesn't just roll the ball out and let them play. He is in on every play. So you need that kind of mind. Um, but there's other options too. So you know, I don't want to single out one guy. But they don't ask me anyway. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that is on the mind of guys like me because we know coaches' time can't last forever. I don't know if you read Feinstein's book, but it was super cool to read that Which he and Dean, uh, the last book that he wrote uh, it was about it was about Dean Valvano and Coach K. I did, I did read that, and I was, I was unaware that Dean and and Coach K forged a pretty nice relationship uh, in Dean's waning years, which uh, which was really nice. Actually, it was really nice story. And it was, uh, it, it was. I didn't know that story. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, I, I think they were so competitive when they were facing each other that it was hard to kind of, you know, get to know each other. I think the same thing happened with Kay and Valvano. You know, when Valvano got sick, yep. um, and you don't have to compete with each other, you know, because your livelihoods are on the line. You know, this is how you feed your family. So that guy across the, the court is trying to take away food and money from your family. So it's hard to like a guy. But I you know, think there's a lot of stories away. people don't know too. I mean, I, I will tell you one that I recall, and I know I, I know I've got to wind it down and this'll this will be the end here. But you know, we were taping the show and um Duke was playing Connecticut and it was Leitner hit the game winning shot. And I think Carolina had played Connecticut earlier in the year. And Dean told us that he sent Coach K some film and a couple of thoughts uh, on Connecticut. So he, they definitely were league first, wow. which was How something I was never aware of. How about that? Yeah. And me, you know what's me, great me. about it? We're about to film. The mind was unbelievable. We're about to film, you know, and he's like, let me just watch this last play. He said, okay, they're going to set a screen here. Leitner's going to come off and drill a three and end the game. And it was like, that's exactly what happened. It was unbelievable. I mean, he was absolutely brilliant. Well, not only that, he was a great man too, yeah. Dean Smith. And I can give you a great quick story about him that sums up who he is for me. Yeah. Um, my freshman year, we played two games. The first one's at Duke. The second one's at Carolina. The first one, I wasn't ready to play. It was on CBS. I played one minute. The second one at Carolina, um, we were getting beat and I come in in the second half and I go six for six. And again, in an inconsequential second half, you got where the game was over. Um, flash, fast forward to summertime, I'm down at school for summer school and I'm in my apartment and the phone rings. I'm in class. And so I come back and I hear the voicemail and it's Dean Smith, secretary. And if you have some time, would you please call coach back? I'm like, oh my God, like, why is Dean Smith calling me? <laughs> That's tampering now. <laughs> I know, right? Recruiting's <laughs> over. And I uh, I call him back immediately without even calling Coach K. I didn't even want like I just figured you don't leave a man like that waiting. So I called the office right away and I said, hi, you know, this is all I, it just felt weird calling the Carolina basketball office. Yeah. Identifying myself as who I am. 
And I said, hi, I'm Ala Abdullah. And she said, hold on, Coach Smith is waiting for you. She didn't let me have to explain who I was or anything. She was already informed about the fact that I might call. So he gets on the phone and I, I said, Coach Smith, you know, it's Ala. How are you? You know, is there anything I can do for you? And he says, this, this is, this is again, the mind. He goes, Allah, we've got the sports festival down here, and a couple of guys didn't show up and got hurt or got hurt. And we got some spots open. And I remember you going six for six against us in, in, in Chapel Hill. And we were hoping if you could come and play that way here this week. Wow. And I just remember thinking, like, wait, I'm on your mind in the middle of, like, the summer? Like, why are you thinking? It was such a huge con- – and then when I got there, it was, like, it was as if I was doing him the biggest favor. He came over and thanked me, introduced me to the people running the sports. It was remarkable. And – that to me, like it changed from then on. Like he was one of the nicest men ever. He was really great during recruiting, but you don't get to see all those sides of him. And for him to just recall how I played in an in, in inconsequential second half and then to somehow think I'm doing him a favor is just remarkable. It's just remarkable. I have so many stories like that, Allah. I mean, just, you know, the, there was a time we were going to the Canary Islands and it was on Thanksgiving Day or Christmas. It was a holiday. And the team flew separately and, and I ended up in, at the Newark airport and so did he and we were on the same flight. He got me upgraded. You know, what could I do for you? They called me. Do you want to have dinner with the team? I know you're alone. I mean, it's just- it was unbelievable. It was, it was unbelievable. a family. It was a family. Yeah. yeah. Even from eight miles away, it felt like a family. Yeah. Well, man, I can't thank you enough for your time. This has been so much fun for this, me. Thank I you. knew it was going to be fun. It was worth the two-year wait. <laughs> it was. Thanks so listen, so much. And I we're going to do this again. All the Please follow Allah on Twitter. Please watch the Sixers games with he and the great Mark Zumoff who I interned for back in 1987, by the way, Prison Sports. How about and that? And he was amazing. Um, follow me on Twitter at Real Mike Small. Please subscribe to The Painted Lines. All kinds of good stuff. Follow Alla at Alla Tweets. Is that right? That's it, brother. That's it. Thank you, guys. We'll have another one next week. Appreciate your time, my friend. And uh, everybody have a good one. Go Sixers. Hey, it's Justin Grasso from Sports Illustrated. You're killing me, Smalls. Enjoy the podcast.